Welcome to another edition of Horrifying My Friends. I am horror host Travis. Alongside me, as always, is producer Kate. Hello. And joining us again, a popular guest the first time and a guy that I knew I wanted to have back on for sure. Like, it was just like a, every now and then though, I would text you a movie and be like, have you seen this? And then you'd be like, seen it. And I'd be like, God damn it. (laughs) But joining us today is Joshua Sturgeon. How you doing, folks? So we had talked about like aliens. We had talked about Evil Dead. Like <laughs> there's right. like so many movies we I mean, went the, through. <laughs> there's there. I've seen a ton of horror movies, but you got to remember, I've I've watched these probably back in like the '90s. Like it, yeah. it, it it would be like seeing it for the first time if we watched it again. So <laughs> for, for sure, this was one that I hadn't seen. It's it's one that uh, what we're gonna talk about is one that I I honestly I've tried watching it a couple of times, and I, uh-huh. this you finally forcing me to watch <laughs> it was great because I actually had to sit down, turn the cell phone off, and be like. What is this movie about? <laughs> oh, for sure. Uh, and I was actually surprised that you haven't seen this, like, because this is kind of uh, came out in '97 and um, or '90 was it '97? Yeah, '97. '97, and it was kind of a big movie, like culturally, like was not it? not box office wise, but culturally. Right, because it was not a hit, it's, and I think it was a limited release. Like, yeah, I, but I think that's is that typical for Lynch's movies? I don't think he's a big blockbuster. Yeah, guy, not guy, not really. <laughs> Not anymore. That's an understatement. Yeah, not is that, is that a dig? Should I mean to show up? I, yeah. I mean, he's kind of like your dude. I know you love some Lynch. And he was like, that's the thing. He was in the '80s, like when he did Blue Velvet and stuff. So we're, the film we're talking about, Lost Highway, like, not to you know to bury the lead a little bit, but he was kind of in the '80s, like because he did Blue Velvet and shit, and then he got the big job on Dune. And that was a colossal train wreck. So oh, he kind of really? went back to I, I don't know anything about Dune. And people love that movie too. But yeah, he went to Mexico and it was like a really big budget and shit. But the movie just like fell through. It had no, Sting in it and shit. And like, yeah. I don't know if that helps a movie. Anyway. <laughs> that doesn't sell for that? me. Have you guys seen Dune? Dune? Okay, so it, it's a pretty it's a pretty good sci fi movie. Yeah, but yeah, so how is everything going, man? Like, uh, I know I asked you a little bit, like um, downstairs a little bit, but with COVID and shit, seems like it's ramping back up. And dude, I mean the the cabin fever is still there. Like the the being oh, yeah. at home twenty four seven and and having like zero entertainment. Like we we're always big moviegoers. Well, usually every Saturday we're going to the movies and we're checking something out. And I mean, you know how many times we're going and see oh, yeah. bands and trying to see live music and all that stuff oh, is just dead right now. Yeah, that's killing me, man. Like the uh, not being able to go to shows. Yeah. This fucking sucks. Brooke and I were talking the other day it's, and the only actual live live music that we've seen this year was Morgan Wallen. Like that is a travesty. That is, is he a country? Abs- yeah. Is that country? It's, it's a Brooke okay. thing. Yeah, that's, that's a <laughs> how, did the thing. Co- how did the country thing go when no, nothing else went? Like when was that? Was that it was really February. early? It was February. It was before oh, okay. the, everything shut down. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, dude. Like, because we had like those Atlantis... Yeah, like... it was heartbreaking. But she's, you know, supposedly <laughs> yeah. next year. I guess we'll see if the vaccine well, happens. We were yeah. supposed to go to Florida and see Ozzy and Manson. That got canceled. Oh. I had tickets for 
Um, well, the festivals, the festivals all got shut down. I mean, those uh, those we saw coming we, yeah. pretty early <laughs> on. Like a hundred thousand people are not going to congregate right now. So, I think I th- we were calling that in like February too. Again? Like, I, I think we're still a long ways away. Probably when the vaccine that has to that's like post vaccine. I did sure. see something. What Ticketmaster's trying to put something together to be able to do some kind of live music situation. Yeah, you have to produce a negative COVID result negative result. Yeah, yeah. And to get tested. To I had get, saw a couple places like uh, they were having people like say the three of us go to a concert like we all sit at one table and then the the band still plays and shit but basically everybody's at tables and oh, I was like right? not even take that I mean anything give I've I mean seen, yeah. anything I've seen online some concerts like older people you know. It's yeah. almost like dinner theater. Right. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it is. it's it's like books and boards or whatever that or uh, fucking uh, beef what's and it? Board. Beef, beef and boards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, yeah. They have like a little buffet and shit at the Manson show. I mean, <laughs> little carved meat. Yeah, I mean, that, I, I, ooh, you, that'd be killer. Right now, a carcass. Have you, have you done you any just, of the webcam concerts? Have you seen any of this stuff? Uh, didn't I think Metallica did one? Metallica did one. I mean, there's been a few people that have. I haven't gotten. We into listened it. to the I, Garth Brooks one. I think. Did you? Oh, when I he think was for Frozen, I did. It was yeah. kind of bad. It, it, it's just not the same. It, it was him and like uh, uh, his wife. His wife is like another '90s country star. Oh, Trisha Yearwood. Yeah. I only know her because of she had a cooking show. I was gonna uh, say Katie <laughs> with the deep cut. But yeah, I was like, I how mean, the hell do you know Trisha Yearwood? Yeah, she had a little. It's a dirty show. pleasure. It's one of those vices. She She's down a down deep, and she's like Torture a country fan. Yeah, she's, anyone who knows me knows that's yeah, not she keeps how I know her. Shit her. kickers under the bed. <laughs> I I can say I do appreciate musicians trying to give us something because mm-hmm. there's a lot that are just laying low and not doing a damn thing, which right. is you know their prerogative, but because um, especially they can't really profit off of it. So yeah. I, I mean, that. I feel bad for, like, the up-and-comers, though. Like, if you just released an album in, like, 2018, 2019, you didn't mm-hmm. really get to tour that much. It's like, oh. how are you surviving right now? Like, how are you getting by? Probably, yeah. Yeah, yeah that, that's got to be... Especially metal be artists, because metal artists are not millionaires. It's I all mean, merch. Except for, shit. like, Metallica and, yeah. you know, the Big Four and those kind of guys. But, I mean, if you're a small-time metal band, like, come on. If you've got $10,000 in the bank, you're probably doing all right. Oh, yeah, for sure. So... Uh, the film that we're discussing today, to a kind of segue here, is uh, Lost Highway from 1997. Um, anonymous videotapes Prestige, is that how you say that? Prestige, a magician's murder conviction. A gangster's girlfriend leads a mechanic astray. What's that? <laughs> no <laughs> description of this no. movie is going to be very be accurate. accurate. No. Yeah, it, it, is, it no. is beyond really giving you any type of synopsis. Uh, directed by David Lynch, written by David Lynch and Barry Gifford, which Barry Gifford is the guy that wrote Wild at Heart and all that shit. Have you ever seen Wild at Heart? You gave it to me, but Brian and I haven't watched it yet. Yeah, Nick Cage and full Nick Cage, you know, and karaoke and Elvis. Laura Dern, right? Yeah. It looked, oh, yeah. The, the cover looks fabulous. Yeah, it's like a Wizard of Oz. Like, there's even a chick painted, like, red or green. Uh, I can't remember what color she's painted. And then Henry Defoe is like a guy with a mask on with like big teeth and shit. <laughs> yeah, it's a weird fucking movie. Uh, starring Bill Pullman as Fred, uh, President Bill Pullman. Uh, <laughs> Patricia Arquette as Renee and Alice. Uh, Balasar Getty as Pete Dayton, which I thought the whole fucking movie, Rose and I were sitting there watching this. I, I was like, that's Stan from the faculty. And Rose was like, no, it's not. It's and I was not. like, that is Stan from the faculty. <laughs> You're absolutely wrong. <laughs> I honestly thought it was Charlie Sheen for a second. I'm like, that looks like a freaking, uh, what is that? A, um, doppelganger. Doppelganger yeah. Charlie Ooh. Sheen. I'm like, 
Um, Robert Blake as the mystery man. Uh, I don't know if you guys know this. Or not. Well, I'll mention it a little bit later. Terrifying. Yeah. Uh, Jack Nance as feel, Phil. Feel. Uh, <laughs> no, last role while he was alive with David Lynch. Uh, this is actually pretty sad. I think he ended up dying in like uh, 1997 or 8. So this was his last on-screen performance in a David Lynch film. Uh, Gary Busey as Mr. Dayton, which surprised me because I didn't even know, I didn't even remember that he was in this. And uh, Robert Loggia as Mr. Eddie. Uh, so the first note, soundtrack. The album reached number seven on the Billboard Top 100. It was produced by Trent Reznor and includes original music recorded for the film by Nine Inch Nails for The Perfect Drug, Angelo uh, <laughs> I'm going to butcher this, Angelo Baldalmenti. Uh, he did the music for Twin Peaks and all that stuff. I hope you're not listening, Angelo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no shit. Barry Adamson, uh, Something Wicked This Way Comes, uh, and Marilyn Manson, The Apple of Sodom, and The Smashing Pumpkins for I, which I is actually like my favorite Smashing Pumpkins too. Never. Yeah, great song. Yeah. Uh, the soundtrack also featured music from Lou Reed, David Bowie, and under Lamstein. He actually like kind of introduced Rammstein to America, like in a right. way, yeah, because they were yeah. like that was like their that was the like year the initial debut. album, like their debut album was these yeah. was these songs for sure. So this is our intro to David Lynch on this podcast. Uh, my connection with David Lynch and Lost Highway was I discovered Twin Peaks in college because my brother's boyfriend Gabe and like was like, dude, you got to watch this. So. I started it downstairs here at the in-laws uh, one night. This was like at like one in the morning or whatever. And before I knew it, there was like, it was, I was like seven hours into it and like <laughs> into this little small town murder mystery and shit. And from there I went on and discovered Blue Velvet, which remains one of my favorite films ever. Um, I actually had you watch Blue Velvet as well, like before yeah. this, but I absolutely love David Lynch. Like, like uh, Josh said earlier, I'm like, kind of like a David Lynch uh, mark. Like everything he gets, I'm like, oh my god, this is brilliant. You love to be confused, <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, no shit. Um, these next two fast facts are on a special feature interview with David Lynch from 2002, and you can find them on YouTube. Um, David was actually very open about this film, which actually really surprised me because he's never fucking open about what they mean or anything like that. Not too open, but he was kind of open. Lynch discusses that he didn't notice it before, but part of the film's story was influenced by the O.J. Simpson trial. So he was really taken by that case, as were we, you know, um, just, you know, the goings-on of it in the mid-90s, like, everybody was glued to the fucking TV. But he started thinking about, so this was a guy that was guilty in his opinion, and he, yet he's able to go after the trial and golf and do other stuff. And he was like, what would his brain need to do like to get him by basically like mm, what would the brain yeah so i'll leave the next part out because i want to talk about it later um i kind of want to get your guys' theories on it and stuff uh robert blake who played the beyond creepy mystery man makes his final on-screen appearance because shortly after this he was on trial for killing his wife uh which is even creepier note um mm. david says that a creepy scene in the film actually happened to him in real life one morning, he got up and his intercom buzzed, and a man whom he could not recognize the voice of said, Dick Laurent is dead. He said he tried to get to the window to check out who it was, but he was never able to see anyone. Uh, just a few quick notes here. few few more quick notes here, I should say. Uh, Marilyn Manson and Twiggy D actually appear in the film towards the end of the por at the porno scene. Yeah, that one. <laughs> that film, yeah. Uh, which I didn't remember Twiggy being in it, but I was like, holy shit, dude. Mm -hmm. It said like Twiggy Ramirez or whatever. 
the house in which Fred, Fred lives in this film was owned and designed by David Lynch. He said they filmed there because it was easy for him to move stuff around. And, you know, of course, because it was his own house. Uh, Bill Pullman was actually playing the saxophone during the scene at the club. He didn't know how to play, but learned how to play that solo, which is one of the parts <laughs> that I texted you on. Because I was like, dude, if I was in that club, I would like break my fucking glass. I'd be so anxious. <laughs> Was it like, was not good. No, it was all lights. over the place. Yeah, and if you were epileptic, <laughs> oh you're having a seizure, man. You're done. You're out. But I would have been like popping Xanax in that fucking club. <laughs> um, so that is like, I have more notes, but I kind of want to get to them like as we start discussing this thing and stuff. So, Josh, what was your immediate like uh, reaction to this movie? Um, I, I like we've discussed it's. <laughs> Okay, so obviously this is not your typical linear movie. Like and yeah. it's not even it's not even nonlinear in the sense of like Tarantino where it makes yeah. sense. Like you can't yeah. even piece this thing together. So yeah. it's it's something that number one, you hundred percent have to shut everything off. Like you have to pay attention to this movie. You've got to put your put your effort into actually focusing on it. Mm-hmm. And even then you're still confused. Like it, mm-hmm. it's it's really <laughs> difficult to try to put this all together. If it even comes together. It's like <laughs> I mean you can create shit. some theory. You can you can oh, kind sure. of piece some things up and and you can create your own dialogue on on how that makes sense. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's still got some plot holes for sure. Uh, <laughs> Kate, so this was your first time seeing it as well. Yeah, so my first time seeing it. I knew it was a David Lynch film, so I I prepared myself to be confused because I <laughs> there's very few of his movies that I haven't walked away, you know with three different theories of what could have been and then being doubtful of all of those theories. So as I was going through my notes, I kind of approached this one differently. And so every time I saw something that triggered that, well, is this what's going on? At one point I was like, is this an alien abduction? And then like with the blue lights and stuff. And then another time I'm like, is he being electric, like electrocuted in like, right. is he on death row? Cause those are like, crazy prison cells like that's death row prison cells right, right, yeah. um yeah, sure. and i was like is it is this a through the looking glass thing like with the with the mirror and then the whole alice wakefield like wakefield wonder land field land wake wonder like, i was like alice and i was like, so, I was like <laughs> yeah. so i was like and yeah so i was very confused just as i expected i would be um i had a I had bad dreams about my husband cheating on me and me killing him wow. because I watched it right before I went to bed. Um, so clearly my brain was like, you don't know what this movie actually was. You need to figure it out. Wait a minute. <laughs> and Brian's Brooks? like, Brian's over here like, you're never watching another day. Yeah. I'm like, is Brooks at home dead right now? Like, do we need to go? Is she remembering it differently? Right. But I mean, all, all that to say, uh, I, I certainly was not bored by this movie. I will warn you, you must put subtitles on this movie because it's extremely quiet for yeah. like the majority of it. Yeah, a lot of it, like when you texted that, I was like, that's a good fucking point because like the first 20 minutes are like a silent film. Like, Even when they speak to each other, Renee and yeah. Fred, they're almost like in a whisper. Yeah. I had the surround sound cranked up to like fifty. Like you, you gotta <laughs> so, have it. So that up. club scene probably had you out of yeah, your chair. Right? Well, and then when <laughs> Bromstein comes in at the end, you're like, okay, <laughs> dude. I, see, and that's one of the like because um, I've only seen this twice. This is my second time seeing it. So I'd saw it back in the day when I was like kind of discovering David Lynch and I had my hair flipped up like David Lynch and, you know, like I'm like talking <laughs> like David Lynch when Rose is around and shit. But like, um, I saw it then was like, 
immediately blown away. You know, I don't even know if I knew what I saw. Like, you know, I'm just right. like a fanboy sitting there. But one of the things that I loved about watching it last night was like the sound design of it all and stuff. So like you said, the scenes with the Rammstein, mm-hmm. like a, a couple scenes where he plays, he plays Rammstein like throughout this whole movie at certain scenes. But I loved how he pieced together like the scene with the song. Like, yeah. It'd be like, dun, 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 and you know, he's like kicking open the door, right. like, hitting that dude and shit. But yeah, dude, I, I liked it last night. Like, um, like you said, a lot of the things it's like, all right, does he get a little too self self-indulgent like at certain places like yeah you could say that yeah but i i dug it for sure um there were some genuinely chilling moments in this too right oh yeah yeah i agree yeah so like uh the things that what what do you guys think makes this so i would say this is like kind of like a like a dark noir or like a a horror noir kind of thing so what do you guys what was like some of the scariest scenes to you guys in this movie oh man um so I think getting the VHS tapes was kind of oh, creepy. Dude. Like, cause oh, I mean, you're, someone's watching your house and you're not really understanding exactly what's going on. And then you see the photo of you in the, in your bed with your spouse and you're like, how did someone get in my room? And the next thing oh. you know, you're watching a video of yourself with your mutilated wife on the floor. Yeah. So like, to me, that was extremely creepy. And then they follow that up with a scene that he has no idea. Like, he has he's completely oblivious and clean clothes and and has no idea what's going on yeah he's supposedly like blacked out or something but i thought it was very um weird i don't know the other word another Mm -hmm. word for it the first scene where they find the first tape and they Uh, put it in and watch it and renee says oh like must be a real from a real estate agent like and they just brush this off like no big deal i'm just like why on earth would you be so nonchalant about this? And they get a second tape and she's just like, she sets it on the table and doesn't say, doesn't say a word about it. Right. She's off in the room. He's like, don't you want to watch it? She's like, eh, we're not okay. trying to sell our house. No big deal. It, right. And not until they see themselves in bed on the tape. <sighs> and then it's also weird and purposeful because they, when the detectives come, they call the cops. No surprise. <laughs> um, they're all looking at the ceiling because the angle in the, VHS tape is from like the ceiling or someone very very tall or like someone with a contraption with kind of like video. a bird's eye view type yeah thing. um and so it's all very very bizarre mm-hmm. um but it is like that home that I the sense of like a home invasion while you're sleeping um someone watching you is yeah, really yeah. really terrifying to me I, oh yeah I'm so glad you said that too because like that was one of the creepiest aspects to me too, like the VHS angle, like anything with a tape. For some reason, like a blank tape just still scares the hell out of me. Right. Like that tape that you made for over here. Oh, the ring. Like, yeah. <laughs> like anything like that, like scares the hell out yeah. of me. Yeah, like, the ring scarred a generation, I think. Yeah, it's like technology <laughs> and shit like that. Like just our generation, I think. Like even like a pop up email or something, like it's scary to me. I don't know why. Or like one of those chain letters or something. Yeah. Yeah. It's a fucking weird idea to me, man. So you got a ton of fucking notes over there. I know, man. I've got like a six-page report here <laughs> from like high school. Like I never would have done this in high school, and now I'm like jazzed up on this. Like I'm just typing away on stuff. So I've got some theories. Yeah. Should I'll... we? Why don't we just talk about theories? I mean, oh for sure. You asked about scary scenes. So let me get this one in. Um, one more things that scared me about it. And honestly, the mystery man is the thing that scared me the most. Oh, dude. Like I was looking over my shoulder because I watched this at night by myself. Ooh. Like because he is unblinking. Uh-huh. And he has the give it to the actor. Part of it's the makeup, I think, but part mm-hmm. of it's like he looks 
absolutely deranged and like it's very unnerving and i'm sure there's some psychological mm-hmm. term for it but when someone doesn't blink it's like inhuman right yeah and it's they're like soulless oh my god it so did any he, uh, any scene with him really got me oh yeah did he cover your uh what what was the last film that we watched oh friday the 13th on the commentary you were talking about how uh like psychos smile with their teeth kind of thing yeah they, they almost like bare their teeth like yeah. their smiles don't look like genuine smiles but they're trying to like it's like a fake smile right, right? Mm-hmm. um Dude. he kind of had and that vibe too what i read is that lynch gave him free reign on what that character looked like so it was actually him that put that together did oh. the white face paint cut his hair like that and just had <laughs> that creepy demeanor. like he did all that like that wasn't even <laughs> lynch's direction like i bet if i watched it again you couldn't find a scene where he blinks no, I don't. I don't think he does. Yeah. I believe it. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think he does. Um, so did that bother you a little bit when I told you about like that he murdered his wife or like that he he was <clears throat> under investigation for murdering his wife? What happened with that case? Do you know? So I guess like he hired somebody to kill his wife, like, and they. Uh, I don't think they could prove it or whatever, but it, it's why it's kind of like the OJ case where it's like widely regarded, like it happened. Well, yeah. clearly he was pulling on some. Um, real feelings and real material there that <laughs> it wasn't just he's, acting he's a legit sociopath it's <laughs> yeah. no big deal <laughs> yeah and i couldn't help but think about the line that you pointed out when i was texting you about like the prison guards oh they the were like Henry the killer. Is, yeah, yeah and he was like which one and they both started laughing i was like god damn well, i mean like if you life killers what was movie. the what's the movie the the documentary on netflix right now about the guy that killed his wife Oh yeah, this, uh, it's the I forget what it's called. It's well, the one a family. Oh dude, murder. yeah, I can't. But yeah, I mean, it's 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 it's. He killed his wife and his two daughters. Yeah. And it's it's a common practice that if a woman is killed and she's married, you first person you look at is the husband, oh, or, yeah. or the boyfriend, or the you know, it's it, it's just. that scene is yeah that's why women are so terrified most of the time in life (laughs) for sure that like the key between the men are always trying to kill us like (laughs) at all times every man (laughs) every man on the street in our house we're not safe ever (laughs) um that scene though like i remember first seeing that dude and like i said i watched like the first time i watched this much like the uh first watching of twin peaks and blue velvet and stuff it's always late at night for some reason with me and david lynch so like the first time i put this on i'm like what the fuck am i watching because this dude just walks up and it's that barry Edmondson uh song something wicked this way comes very like party like and shit and then this dude comes up and i mentioned it earlier like david lynch has a way with sound but his laugh is like so fucking creepy. And I don't know how they do that. Like mm-hmm. if it's him laughing on top of each other, like overlapping or something. Some kind of a reverb or something. Yeah, but he says, call me. And then he pulls out that ancient cell phone and shit and then calls his house and it's the guy that answers. It's like, oh, that shit is so fucking creepy. And, and so I- that's probably the first time where you're like, this is not based in total reality right like it can't right. there has to be something else going on because exactly. that is the first scene where you're like okay he can't be in two places at once either there's two of him or something yeah some, something he, else he going is on. something supernatural yeah some fuckery's going on yeah. like exactly. it's not just the best way to put it like you said so kate wanted to get into like some of the theories because this is like going to be the meatiest part of this podcast. i'm so lost i'm as lost <laughs> as the highway in this in yeah. this movie so josh like throw out some of your theories so the way, the, what I come up with and, and some of the research that I did, the, the thing that made the most sense to me is that this is like a, a kind of a psychosis. Like, so this guy has a mental breakdown. Everything that happens before he gets sent to death row happened. All of that was true except for the mystery man 
is actually a, a split of his of, of, of his psyche. Mm-hmm. Um, so when he goes to jail, he has the full mental breakdown and then creates the rest of the movie in his head. Mm-hmm. Um, you see a lot of times you'll see a lot of big blue flashes and you, it looks like lightning and electrocution. Mm. I think that's when he actually is on the electric chair and they pull the switch and his whole life just shatters and kind of breaks mm-hmm. off into these pieces. That does make sense. Um, Interesting. So like they say when you dream, like you really only dream like for the last, what, like few seconds or few minutes before you wake up is what I've heard or something like that. So think about if you're on the electric chair and you're at your end of your life how much quicker does all that happen so you get this whole story that unravels and his entire psyche is gone in so many other different directions so the way that i understood it um there's this freudian aspect of psychology where you have three separate pieces of your consciousness you've got your id your ego and your superego and so what happens to fred is his is, is all three of those people come out in different places so he is Pete, he is Mr. Eddie, he is Mr. He is Dick Laurent, and he is the mystery man. But these are all separate entities inside his mm-hmm. dream world. So mm-hmm. that's, that's the way that I ended up coming that's... up with it. And that there was like a paper from some psychology major that <laughs> I was reading through, and it got super deep, and I'm a oh, dumbass yeah. redneck, so I, I don't know all <laughs> the details of it. But it made sense that you, you look at Fred, and he's like, okay, you know, that's – that that's your kind of your you're self-aware you are you are this person that has these dreams and these ambitions and then pete is the ego side of things where he's this ideal man he's what pete is what fred wants to be he wants to be yeah, the sexually virile and, right he's the complete yeah. opposite of fred because you see fred's scenes where he's with his wife in the beginning and he's like impotent like he yeah he gets like the it's okay pat when he can't climb oh the pity pat the yeah pity. like the, it, it's okay you tried like and then they stare at the ceiling like okay when well, i find yeah she's definitely so, unhappy yeah mm-hmm. so i think pete is his <laughs> ideal man he's his macho this this you know the the machismo kind of a dude that kid gets more pussy than a toilet seat yeah. the cops said yeah. Uh, yeah we need to talk about that another time and then the the mystery man um so the way that freud explains the superego is he's kind of the what you would consider your conscience so your your superego is what keeps everything in check and looks for balance and harmony so yeah it's you, where, where your morals come in yeah to your decision so if you making. if you think about the scenes where the mystery man shows up it's scenes where fred or pete are doing things that they shouldn't be so when he first shows up at the party it's like why are you at this party like you need to be working on your relationship you need to be focusing on your wife you need to be focusing on the things that make you happy but you're at this party that you're miserable at your wife's drunk and falling over this other guy so Mm -hmm. you need to go home so i think the the conversation that he has he he, the mystery man says that you invited me in or something like that Mm -hmm. yeah what was i forget the the exact quote you invited me in i don't tend to go where i'm unwanted or he went vampire with it right so the so the way that i the way that i interpreted that is that you're out of control you need the superego to come in here and, Mm. and kind of check your situation Josh went fucking deep. That's yeah. why we had Josh well, on this episode. I guess it would make sense that he's the one wielding the camera too, because mm-hmm. um, you find out that Fred early on um, doesn't like cameras because he likes to remember things the way he wants to remember them, not mm. how they were. Right. Because you know you can always sugarcoat things for yourself and your and your memories and right. Interpret and your and, yeah. Interpret interpret things the way you want. Like I'm an anxious person and I over interpret like everything every oh, interaction sure. I have. 
Um, and that's why, like, these, uh, like, you get the eyewitness accounts and stuff are highly inaccurate. Yeah. Like, and can be influenced for right. sketch artists and stuff like yeah. that. So it's... it would make sense that the mystery man has the, is the one wielding the camera because that is, like, he's sh- recording and he's showing exactly what's going to, what has happened in the most neutral way, mm-hmm. <clears throat> I guess. Yeah, that's interesting. I'm so like glad you covered that theory too, because that was Rose's kind of thing too. Yeah, and I'm so glad you covered that because it was so complex. I didn't even write it down. I was just <laughs> I was literally going to read from the fucking paper offline. <laughs> I was going to be like, yeah, I'm not trying to dig all through this and shit. So was this also kind of his way? I mean, he they say right in the beginning that he doesn't like he wants to remember things the way he wants to. So it's almost like his brain's way as he's being you know about to die, um, of kind of making himself into the hero of this like he kills dick laurent you know and he's trying to make sense on the of it run all and, and it's not like i could see he's that like trying sure. to justify for himself why he like why he's in the situation he's in and that's kind of like an old uh like film noir trope as well like uh and we encountered this kind of with the angel heart as well it gives you that like there's like a hint really early on that it gives you. It basically tells you what the movie's about and what was the line where he says, I like to remember things my own way. Mm-hmm. And Something that kind of, like that. that's kind of telling you what this movie's like about, you know, and like in a sense, but yeah. So what was your like overall theory on it? Though, like, oh, I didn't have one. I, like I said, <laughs> she's like, like, I gave up. Yeah, like, I, I did know. give up I, I, early on. I mean, I mentioned that like as, something visual would trigger or i'd hear something that would trigger like Uh an idea i'd write it down and there's like 10 different things that Mm -hmm. like and one of them was i think maybe he's being electrocuted he's on death row he's Mm -hmm. with the lights did make sense to me but i didn't connect the like the id ego and super ego like part of it at all that actually makes a lot of sense now that i hear it um but yeah at one point with the blue lights and like him being swapped out of his cell i was like the blue lights open in the ceiling. I'm like, mm-hmm. is this an alien abduction movie right. that oh, Travis is making me watch? <laughs> She's over here watching Stephen Hawking. Like, yeah. quantum theory. If there's, this is just, if there's a split universe, you have these multiple <laughs> infinite. Right, but he doesn't remember. But in, but the, um, what's his name? Pete, his parents are not telling him something about what happened. Yeah, dude, that was and so weird. I was like, is yeah. this aliens? And then soon, very soon after that, I was like, it's an alien. It's, this is not aliens. This is something else. Um, and then, yeah, the sort of look through the looking glass thing, I think might hold some merit. I don't know how you fit it into oh, for sure. into the, the current theory that we all seem to think makes sense. <laughs> but, I mean, they make a point of having... Um, Fred look in the mirror and after he goes into the darkness he literally goes into darkness which was another weird which is scene. like a blackout right mm-hmm. he's like literally it's the visual interpretation of a blackout and he goes in and he's seeing himself through this mirror and Alice Wakefield I think is like a mirror she's a mirror image of Renee like there's a lot of mirror stuff and the mm-hmm. and glass in this interestingly enough like Andy or whatever, which is also a really cool kill. Like, um, oh, yeah. slices, he, like he lands on this glass table and right. dies. Um, but anyway, I think there's probably something there, but I don't have the mental capacity these days. to. And it is very down. alien. So what was all that like? And that was another part that freaked me the fuck out, man, is like the way that, and Gary Busey does, he's in, he's only in this like a little amount, but mm-hmm. like the parents like not being able to tell him what's going on and stuff. And they were like, you were with another man. And the girlfriend knows that shit was like creepy. Yeah. I was like, what is Sheila going on? brought it up that she, that their last encounter was awkward and that there, she kind of explained it, but not a lot, but you got the sense that the mystery man was there with yeah. Pete when he came back into that. Cause you, 
Wait, what's the what's the so they they're, he's in the the prison like Fred's in the prison. Mm-hmm. You see the blue light, then you travel down the Lost Highway, and then you see Pete standing there. But mm-hmm. later and on, Sheila tells you that yeah. the mystery man was there somehow. In that yeah, but scenario. you see his parents and Sheila or someone like yelling mm-hmm. for him right. too, yes, like a flash yes, of that. Yes. And they say later on when they're explaining nothing to him basically but they're giving him hints which is irritating yeah, it's almost like they're afraid but to. yeah but they they say probably because the guy was scary yeah. maybe <laughs> yeah. but they do say like he, he showed like you showed up with a, a man so it's probably you're right the mystery man yeah which is freaky as all hell if i have to i'll have to watch it back that we're still uh talking about gary bc like parents and stuff I thought he was he had an awesome dad line and Rose and I were laughing. I was like, I wish I'm as good a parent as Gary Busey is in this movie because <laughs> he gets home like from prison and stuff. Right. And then his friends come over and he's just like, he's just like, I'm going out with these jokers for a while or something. And Gary mm-hmm. Busey's like, uh, go out, do you some good. Do you some good. Exactly. <laughs> he's yeah. drinking like whiskey out of a glass or something. I'm like, yes. I love how the parents show up wearing sunglasses and matching Dude, coats yes. to the prison to pick him up. Um, <laughs> So I thought color was probably something worth talking about in this oh, film because sure. you see red. I have like a yes. huge list of every time I saw something red that mm-hmm. seemed sig- like significant, I yeah. would write it down. Agree. Like, let me just do a rundown. So there's For obviously sure. light and walls and lipstick and ha- like Renee's hair, all this stuff. So I don't start thinking about what you think all the red is meant to indicate to us. Like, cause it's like almost like a flag, right? Every yeah. it's, it's literally a red flag at times, but there's a couple that stood out to me were the entryway table that they, you know, kind of like if you walk in your house and you drop where it's where you like drop your keys and that kind of stuff is red. And that's where the tape always ends up being. Mm-hmm. I thought that was interesting. There's the cops in their red car. And well, a lot of people have red cars in this and there's just red all over the place. The Arnie sign, the Eddie's goons blazer is red. There's um, like red everywhere the flowers the exit sign the headboard the, there's like a curtain that comes open at some point like yeah. there's well, just no, there's red yeah. everywhere and then of course blue with the lights and you see um alice who is renee or i don't know what that all is but anyway um <laughs> she even like she starts out with all white and then slowly blue comes in she wears blue nails and then she her clothes and then her clothes become blue like so that i i don't know i don't know what it all means i just noticed it and i wrote it down well and there's a lot of red at the beginning too because it's like 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 we said like the beginning of the movie is kind of like a silent film and it's just bill pullman like standing in his shadowy house which i want a shadowy house like i love shadowy shit and he's just standing there and smoke like i almost picked up cigarettes again after watching this oh there's a lot of smoking in this. yeah so i want to stand there with shadows in a red tent and like just smoke cigarettes with an inch of ash just hanging on like that like that has some animosity so and that's what to me that's what all that red indicated so you you usually see the red and then you see fred and i'm i'm anticipate or i'm i'm seeing that as just Fred's anger and animosity towards his mm-hmm. wife, his relationship, his life, because there's one scene in particular I remember where he he's after, I think it's after his show he uses the payphone to call his wife and it's hundred percent lit in red and her, she doesn't pick up 
And then later on, he has this dream that she was actually at the show with Andy, and they walk out, and you see a bright red exit sign. And I'm like, okay, so is that him trying to exit, or is that her exiting their relationship? So I, mm-hmm. I didn't know exactly what that was, but obviously their dynamic was way off and not healthy in any way. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I saw most of the red as just like his anger and his animosity. There's, yeah, anger, his anger yeah. and his passion. Obviously, there's mm-hmm. red blood. But and there was the not... one raging like fire. Do you remember that? Like there was a, there was a, a fireplace, and there, it was an abnormally large, just raging fire in this fireplace. So I, yeah. I, I again, I think that was just kind of his pent up anger. It, yeah. It... Well, there's there's also the scene. <clears throat> sorry. So there's the scene where. <clears throat> um, Renee and her hu- and Fred are having sex. That's like the first sex scene. He gets, like, obviously the red in that moment is meant to represent all this passion that they have. They're having sex, and then he's a premature ejaculator, and, like, everyone's let down. He gets the pity pat, and the look on his face, you rewatch that scene. Tell me that that's not the most rage you've ever seen in a man's oh, face. 100%. like yeah. Like, just, like, buried, trying to cover it. Rage and disappointment. Probably not just in her, but, or in what happened, but in himself, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. It was really creepy. For sure. Uh, that's funny that uh, you and I noticed like that little cig- cigarette, like the fucking <laughs> end of it. And you know David Lynch is like off screen, like, Bill, keep the cigarette lit, you yeah. know, shit like that, like making it go long. Don't ask that thing. Keep it out there. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I kind of wanted to share, like, it, and that's what I love about David Lynch films, that there's not like one take on it. Like, there's, there's a ton of fucking, like, you know, what does this mean? What does that mean? Oh, wait, but does that account for that? And uh, two other, like, big themes or, like, uh, meanings that I could see in this film were, like, memory and identity. Like, of course, like, big, big themes in this and a lot of other film noirs and mm-hmm. stuff. With memory, of course, we've touched on it. Like, the eyewitness accounts, stuff like that. Memory is very unreliable. Like... You don't really, all you have is kind of how you remember it. And sometimes that shit's like, like, and we've all came across it. Like, I'll be talking to Rob, like, and we'll be talking about something that happened in eighth grade or whatever. And I'll remember it one way. And then Rob has like an excellent memory and he'll remember it another way. So I'm yeah. like, what the fuck? Like, I thought yeah, for the, so many years. The more time passes, the less reliable your memory yeah, is. Yeah, for sure. So I, I think like a lot of that shit is kind of going on. And another thing that I picked up on was identity. So, one of the things that you brought up were the two Alice and Renee, the two, mm-hmm. both of them being in the picture and stuff. And I think a lot of that has to do with this uh, idea of identity. Like if you think about it, like just take me, for example, like I was thinking about me and just take me, for example, like there's certain people that know me as like football Travis and they have this shape of like identity that is me like oh, this yeah. uh yb like played for ben davis you know all this other shit and then there's like some of my other nerdier friends like comic book travis there's all these like people like creating this comic book travis like in their own heads right and we do that for a lot of our friends because we see very like little of our friends and you know not in their private lives yeah. or, you know whatever so i think that idea is very very fascinating to me as well like i think a lot of that shit plays into this as well like he has like you mentioned, uh, was his name Pete? Mm-hmm. So Pete is kind of like, and this kind of plays into your the uh, Freudian stuff. But Pete, and you know, he's uh, Mr. Eddie, and mm-hmm. all these, all these make up like him, but they're se- separate like identities and stuff. Right. I, 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 th- I just think this movie's like fascinating and shit, though. So one thing that Lynch uh, mentions 
is, and I wanted to mention this. I was going to mention it earlier, but I wanted to save it kind of for when we're talking about like this kind of stuff, like the, you know, the meetings and stuff. So when talking about the plot of this film, David also talked about in the same interview, he talked about a lot about the psychogenic fugue or dissociative fugue as it's known as today. Um, this was taken by psychology today. Dissociative fugue is a psychological state in which a person loses awareness of their identity or other important autobiographical information and also engages in some sort of unexpected travel. So he says that he had this idea like when writing this film and kind of to put that, like he, he realized that later on he was like uh, kind of creating the story based kind of on that. But it, it doesn't explain the film 100% though, for sure. But what do you think about that, Producer Kate? I, th- I mean, I think it makes sense. There's a lot of like, <laughs> you can see that influence when you, once you know about it. Uh-huh. And I'm interested to watch this a second time. I usually say this about most movies that we watch. Uh-huh. Um, I don't know when I'll pick this movie up. Probably tonight. Brian wanted to watch it and he didn't last night because he went to bed earlier because he's old. Um, but <laughs> do anyway. You think, do you think Brooks will make it through it? I think he'll make it through it for sure. Okay. I think I, I think this is watchable. Uh-huh. Like I think that there's there are moments where you are just like, what the fuck? I want mm-hmm. I thought like you got to make it through the first half hour, forty five minutes. Like, yeah, it's, it's very not, quiet and it's it not is, coming out the gate. Yeah, it is slow, but once it picks up, Jesus, like you, it's yeah. you can't even <laughs> hang on. Like it, it it really takes you on a ride. I'm curious to know if like what you guys noticed in terms of like the dialogue in this. <laughs> in this movie like if you can call it that but like the the way that some of the lines are written were just very strange to me and i'm sure i'm wondering if you caught any i'll give you an example of kind of what Mm -hmm. what i'm getting at here so in the towards the very beginning um renee is like i'm sorry i can't i'm not gonna come to the club tonight whatever um and he's like well what are you gonna do and she's like i don't know read and (laughs) and he's like he like sidles up to her kind of and he's like read what Renee and then she she starts laughing and they start talking about how like oh I love when you make me laugh you're so funny we're funny haha you know and I'm just like all he said was read what Renee why is that funny yeah Uh like it's very bizarre I'm wondering if you guys caught any more of those because this movie to me has a lot of instances like that where you're just like that cognitively doesn't make sense Mm -hmm. with what is going on in the scene at all Mm-hmm. Like the tape too, right? Where she's just like, uh, must be a real estate agent. Like that just does none of it makes sense. Her delivery was weird a couple times. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, well, really throughout the whole movie, like her delivery is kind of weird. Yeah, like, I think very sleepy. In my mind, I'm thinking of the phone call with the detective when they zoom <laughs> in straight on her lips. Like for some reason, the delivery of that seems strange. I don't remember exactly what she said, but if, when you watch the film, if you see that scene, you, hopefully you'll know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I see what you're saying. Like that, the well, the condescending scene where he, like when he calls her out for reading and that kind of, that that was strange. Um, but yeah, there's there's certainly and some she's like, very ha, ha, interesting ha. writing. Right. And then like the cops, the two detectives <laughs> that they send out are in the bedroom. Yeah. There's a bed there and they're like, is this the bedroom? Yeah, right. Those like, dudes were they like wouldn't ask, They wouldn't ask that. Like, so it was just it's like, of course it's the fucking bedroom. I don't yeah. know. It, just there were a lot of moments like that, and I'm wondering why they did it because like David Lynch is not a dumb person. Like, I think the cops were like kind of his sense of humor because like I picked it up a couple times with the cops. Like the cops are kind of dumb. 
Like I think, I think they're just like two like uh, guys like to David Lynch. Like they're two, fumbling around. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, they were like just the bedroom, and then you know like the dudes like walking on the roof real loud and shit, and he's like looking through the uh, top like just staring at Bill Pullman. <laughs> like Bill Pullman's just staring back at him. Yeah, so like, and Lynch's uh, sense of humor comes in a couple times in this movie, and the other scene that I thought was absolutely hilarious was. Uh, Mr. Eddie beating that dude for tailgating him. Like, <laughs> yeah, that, that was an interesting scene in general. <laughs> yeah. 1,400 horsepower of mechanical excellence or something like that. It's like, that's a 77 Mercedes, bro. Like, for sure. Calm down. <laughs> for sure. And that scene, like, I like think it's rose. meant to show you that he is, cl- like, clearly, like, he's going to like, pass a judgment and he's going to bring justice, like, no matter what. Yeah. And mm. it can be the smallest thing as tailgating and he's going to, like, almost murder you for it. Yeah, his alpha male is coming yeah. out. and Yeah. That, Eddie, Dick Laurent and Eddie, he's, he's an interesting character, I think, just because he, he ties everything together, but he doesn't really need to be there, honestly. Like, I don't, I, you know what, I, does that make mm-hmm. sense? Because he, he kind of, he has aspects in everybody's storylines, but he doesn't really play any pivotal role, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, kind of. Okay, so make help me understand. So there's... Because and, Andy, and this Andy be is fr- more important than Dick Laurent. Yeah. Andy has the pornographer that basically... he Andy is the one that connects Alice and Renee. Because really, they the, other than that, you don't really see Renee and Dick Laurent until the very, very end at the Lost Highway. Right. And well, mm-hmm. well, they show the scenes where you're seeing... Renee or Alice, I don't know which one. I don't remember. Um, this movie and, fucked up, Casey. And there's <laughs> so it's a scene. Andy's there. Dick Laurent's there. They're basically filming a snuff film, right? Right. Yeah. Uh, where they kill Marilyn Manson. Right. Uh, <laughs> so like, there's no way Fred knows about that. So what was crazy? And this is crazy. if this is all Fred's mind, you know, or his. And that's the way that I interpret his it psychosis. Too. Is he just trying to turn his wife into some kind of villain who enjoys snuff films, and therefore she deserved to die? Right, because if you remember the car ride home from Andy's, he's like, "How do you know that asshole?" And she basically gives him a very vague story about he got her into a job or found yeah. her a job. Met him at a place called Morgue Move. Right. Something Other than that, Fred has no idea exactly how dick andy and renee are all associated so i'm thinking in his twisted in his twisted mind and 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 when he has that psychological break he this that storyline is what he came up with that his wife was this sex worker and that she was in pornography and that she was fucking all these guys i think that was she has like some split personality that some of that nature. she's not there's a the person she is when she's cheating on him is not the same person that he knows yeah yeah he like created that to make it easier for killing her or something right. or why did he like i get him wanting to kill her and if like a crime of passion like that's a pretty normal trope you know well, yeah. and just a real reality that if happens you, if you pause that scene of the tape though like she's halved yeah like, he, she's he split cut her, in half and he, her hands chopped off and laying on the bed like yeah, it her is a arms and legs scene. are cut off like why yeah. did he do that yeah like it was not just a crime of passion like he went in deep yeah it was like a rage but like at a certain point once she's dead and you're cutting all her limbs off and spreading them around the room why (laughs) so what was crazier doing mushrooms or watching david lynch 
uh, watching David Lynch. Mushrooms was. <laughs> She's like mushrooms are tame. Mushrooms are great. On David Lynch. <laughs> oh, I would not do oh, that. Oh, dude. <laughs> Could you imagine doing mushrooms and then seeing the fucking, uh, or doing acid and seeing the fucking mystery man? Oh my God. No, mushrooms are delightful. This was not delightful. <laughs> so you don't, you don't see a fucking guy with a camcorder like. <laughs> I'm scared to ever do it. Again. I'm scared to <laughs> yeah. ever do it again now. Yeah. Cause that's just going to oh. be in the back of my brain. <laughs> oh. <laughs> a bad trip. So let's dig into more of your, uh, notes, Josh. Yeah. So I think some of the themes of this movie, you said that there was the theme about the identity. Um, for me, this movie was a lot about, um, the idea of the femme fatale. Um, oh, I yeah. think, I think Alice is a hundred percent the femme fatale. Um, I think there was, I think there was a lot of meaning in the sex of the movie. I think there was mm-hmm. a lot of meaning in like a, the power struggle between the relationships. Um, and then just violence in general, um, and kind of how all of those things intermingled on the, on the film. So, I thought an interesting part, like the whole femme fatale thing. So you said that um, Renee and Alice mirrored each other. And there was a lot of similarities in them. Because if you think about Renee, what woman wakes up, puts makeup on, has a black silk robe, and puts on her four-inch heels to go get the newspaper in the morning? Well, she sleeps in red lipstick, too. I Don't mean, it, like, <laughs> come on. Like, this this is a woman that is very obsessed with her with, with her. Um, with the way she looks, looks very conceited, yeah. you know. And then Alice comes out and she's pulls up in that Cadillac with her hair all done, makeup all perfect, and like she is one hundred percent like the femme fatale. Like she is, in, in the way that I interpret it is that she was with Mister Eddie or with Dick Laurent one hundred percent just for the power, the status, the money. So, mm-hmm. and then you want to explain what a femme fatale, femme fatale is. So a femme fatale, that. like so, if you want to like the. The, the idea of the femme fatale is kind of like a black widow. So that mm-hmm. woman is, is feeding off of a partner or, or basically utilizing them and using them for power, gain, status. And then inevitably they end up at their own demise due to that relationship. Yeah, and it's kind of a big, a big, big, big trope in a lot of these film noir. Like, and this was the, you know, the kickoff for the next wave of film noir. A lot of people think is like Lost Highway and stuff. But the femme fatale is like the dangerous woman, like mm-hmm. you, the seductress, you know, like right. you get involved with her. It's kind of, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, because kind of men, like because <laughs> yeah. men, when there they see, go. when they see pretty, a pretty <laughs> face and big boobies, they're just like, I can't man. control my decisions and my thoughts. Uh, uh, Patricia Arquette <laughs> doesn't have the biggest tits, but I mean, they were, they're pretty, I don't know, but. Uh, she has nice titties. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, if you're yeah, if, yeah. if you're not if you're shy about your nudity, yeah, this is an yeah, interesting movie this. for you for sure. Um, guy nudity too, though, right? No, no I don't. You remember. see ass, don't you? No, I don't remember. Uh-uh. I don't think so not a one. I would remember. Uh, so what? <laughs> She's okay, like, I know for a fact. <laughs> let's dive into that a little bit. What do you? Why do you think there is so much nudity in horror films in general? Like, think about your slasher movies, like your Halloween, your Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, I have a very simple explanation. It's dudes primarily <laughs> making them for other dudes. Yeah. The, the primary audience for audience for a lot of horror films um, are men That's fair. or young young men. But prepubescent men. Boys. There are still female directors that will objectify women in their films. Yeah, for sure. Well. And that's where I would question: Is it objectification, or because the person making it, the because the messenger is a woman, there's a that message is different then. So they're just kind of patronizing their audience and giving them what they want. No, they're making a statement on it. Right? I would argue, like in films like this. See, I I think the idea of the femme fatale. I don't know if that's sexist or not, though, because 
she uses her body in this movie. Oh, she's owning a lot it. of things. Yeah, she's owning sure. it. Like, yeah, that's, it's empowerment. So I don't think this movie's saying that all women are femme fatales. You know what no. I mean? There's or femmes fatale. I don't know how you would say that. Mm-hmm. Um, my grammar, you know, brain. I gotta know. Lynch but anyway, <laughs> did scramble me? I don't think that that's what I'm not saying that that's what this movie's doing. No, I mean that's so that's that was one of the things that I was sitting there thinking about. I was like, okay, so. When you think about Alice, like, so is she a victim in this situation? Is she the aggressor in this situation? I mean, for the most part, she goes straight after Pete. Like, Pete stands no chance in this film. Mm-hmm. So she shows up at the at the mechanic shop, has a cab drop her off, and, like, she's straightforward, like, you should take me out to dinner or something of that nature. And then yeah. later on, she's just like, well, let's just skip dinner. Next mm-hmm. thing you know, Pete's hand's on her vulva, and we're on it. Let's go. Yeah. yeah. and Yeah. Well, I mean... If Pete is Fred, then Fred is saying, you know, he's his mind's trying to tell him, like, listen, you're the victim here, not her. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And to try to help make the the whole idea of, like, if it makes a difference if a man is, and I'm not saying no man can use nudity, female nudity in a film in an artistic way or to make a statement and that it's not i'm not saying it's always objectification i'm saying most of the time it is though oh 99 um, of the time it is but the reason the messenger matters is if like if you take take a different issue take like for instance how um black and african-american people are portrayed in films mm-hmm. when the when the person portraying them and writing that character is white it's going to be a different situation sure. than if mm-hmm. the person writing that character and directing that film is black right um it's kind of the same thing with men and men and women in those dynamics and but anyway plus all three of us at this table are looking at it through the american viewpoint which we're not exactly real progressive on the sexuality right, aspect right, right, of right, things right. like sure. if you look at <laughs> if you look at the way that european people look at nudity it is extremely different than where we are oh yeah we're mean. so puritan it's sad right so i mean so i guess my point is do you think nudity in horror films adds or subtracts from the overall viewing like i think it depends i think it can certainly add to it i think it added it added to it in this one i think so i think it it it, kind of gives it that more erotic that more uh, amped up kind of a feel yeah and you get a you get a sense of like you're seeing her in positions of power and using her sexuality as her power which is her for part. Alice. Yeah, the for other Alice. the other women yeah, no. they're they're just submissive the entire time. They're yeah. on the bottom. They they're they're, they're there as a just a sex doll at that point. Right. And it's a, and it's that moment where she's okay, well one, you would never have sex in a sandstorm on the beach or on, in the desert because you'd get sand in your cooch. But anyway, <laughs> like they're having sex in the sand in the headlights of the car because they just can't wait and she's on top at that point and he's like i want you i want you or whatever he says and she's like you'll never have me and then just walks away and then walks <laughs> away that, which yeah. is like that is fred's mind being like he will never have her he we won't ever have her heart and all of her like he doesn't he never had renee she was either stepping out on him or she was certainly not happy. I think they make a point too, because Rose and I both noticed this when uh, Pete is banging his girlfriend, like at the hotel or the motel. The second and time. And he's like really like oh, giving he's, it to her. Yeah. And she's like, looks uncomfortable as fuck. Well, the first time he's a real, I mean, it's, it's a little bit more sensual. It's a, it's a lot more, yeah. um, there's a lot more connection. The second time he's just hate fucking the shit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she is like, she wants him to stop. 
like yeah. literally like she's not saying anything but like she's and that's really after alice ditches him on the the date that they were supposed to have so he's got a lot of anger and issues that he's he's basically pumping into sheila so what do you guys think <laughs> <laughs> so what do you guys think that was all about like who is sheila like was that just his side piece or like what do you think hey? let me think about it because <laughs> i I just like that came to me and i'm like who the hell is sheila then to me, I I look at it as Fred wants to be Pete, and if he had his ideal situation, he would want more lovers than okay. just his wife. Okay. I think that's the way I looked at it. Okay. And Sheila was kind of almost like a pet; like he mm-hmm. just kept her around. Like it, it, I think he wants a situation. He wants to be in the position of power that Renee is in with him, right? Mm-hmm. Like she ha- she has him for when she wants to have him around, mm-hmm. and then she has her side piece mm-hmm. whoever that is dick or andy or whoever actually she is cheating on him with and i think he in his mind he wanted to be in that position where he has yeah, I agree. exactly kind of what you said just in different words <laughs> oh, i'd agree for sure so let's dive into more uh was it was that last page of notes say josh um so the the last page i'm just we were we talked a lot about um the music of this movie mm-hmm. like one of the things that you really really talked this movie up with was that I was going to love this soundtrack. And for the first 45 minutes, I'm like, I mean, Dave Bowie's cool. I mean, what, what the hell's going on? <laughs> and then, and then when they go to the bar and Sheila and they're like slow dancing to, to smashing pumpkins, I'm like, all right, man, we're getting to this. Yeah. And then it started throwing, throwing in some Manson and some Rammstein. And I think he, I think he completely wasted that nine inch nails song though. Yeah. Did they even play that during the movie? They played like four or five drum beats in the car chase scene for the tailgater. Other than that, you've never right. Heard they song. played the dun 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 like that I'm beginning, didn't they? Try. I'm not even gonna try. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, well, yeah, they, yeah, it was something like that. And yeah, dude. And by the way, this just came out on vinyl too. Oh, uh, did it really? Yeah, the soundtrack did. Um, and I mean, we've gone a long way from like major soundtracks. You know what I mean? Like, it, it, yeah, especially soundtracks that have original music on them. I, yeah. I can't even think of the last film that really had Star a... is Born. Maybe it's like the yeah, the yeah, last no, big one. Good one, maybe. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, that's gotta be the last big one. And stars born. And if you're thinking about like the mid nineties, this is the peak of like the Manson Reznor partnership. I mean, cause you're talking about downward spiral, um, portrait of American family Antichrist superstar. So, I mean, this was a big get for him to get these guys to do this. Yeah. And I read that, um, see smashing pumpkins did an original song for this, which was I, and they did, um, a song for Batman and Robin. I believe uh, every, on the same year, and it was all that ever was uh, or anything or something mm-hmm. like that. It was like a weird one of those like yeah. uh, weird titles, but yeah, it was like right after Melancholy and a uh, uh, the what is that the internal something of sadness or that big album, the double sided oh, one. What was that called? Um, <clears throat> yeah, it was Melancholy it, something. Yeah, yeah, it had it a, was a big album. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, it had like five or six hits on it. They were all doing like these like um, big like singles releases and shit. Like it was big, yeah. like you said. Like, but it's the soundtracks of the time. Like, uh, what were some of your favorite soundtracks for that time, Katie? Like oh, the God. movie, like Titanic was a huge one. Uh, How old was I in nineteen ninety seven? I you were was probably what, basically eight? eight. Yeah. Yeah, because I was seven. And I was like. You know, oh, like uh, Spice Girls? Fuck, I don't yeah, know. The faculty, <laughs> the faculty, the scream. I'm not sure good. I was listening to soundtracks. I yeah, really? I, I've never been a At huge soundtrack guy. Like trying to buy like a so, a collection. I do of love the like faculty that. soundtrack. I'm trying the to think of the ones I dope. the ones I. Own. But were any of them original? Weren't they just pulled off of other albums and made into a? Uh, a some of them were original, like Romeo and Juliet. I remember 
being um, pretty original because uh, Garbage is number one crush. And uh, fuck, I, I can't remember the other song that's on that album, but there was like, there were big songs on that album. And this actually just came up too. It's a similar period, like a couple years later, but my brother and I were talking about the Freddie versus Jason soundtrack, which was like Seven Dust, Corn, Static X. Like there were a bunch of, you know, that, that era yeah. was like huge, man. That's but cool. Yeah, that is a good point though. Like you don't really think about that, but soundtracks aren't as big as they, you know, they used to be, or like the original music yeah. and stuff. I feel like it's a money issue more than anything. Like Probably. think about how much money it would cost to have a band create an original like score almost for a film versus just going out and like buying some snippets, you know, to Because like, let's be honest, you really only need ten to fifteen seconds of a song. So yeah, can you just go out onto the market and go to you know Capitol Records and be like, I need this 15 seconds, how much is that going to cost? Or are you going to go to Smashing Pumpkins and be like, I need an entire song. Yeah, <laughs> we're commissioning a song. Well, I mean, the Bond movies commission a theme For song. Sure. Right, that's yeah, point. that's epic. But yeah, it is just one, scenes. one song. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I mean, how much do you think Madonna got for that one song? I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's it's like it, it's an iconic it's an iconic part of that film is that opening. Yeah, intro I mean, credit. they get they get whoever won all the Grammys that year to do it, right? Adele, Adele um, exactly. the most recent one is Billie Eilish, I think, right? Mm-hmm. It's bizarre yeah. that that film still still isn't out because like that that shit was supposed to be out like this last year. Because of COVID and all the craziness, oh, everything just yeah. on, everything's frozen. <laughs> just sucks, like if, if a movie is getting released now, it was pretty much a directed DVD release anyway, so it for wasn't sure. going to hurt anything. But yeah, why? For sure, it's it's an interesting time in the film world. So, did you guys want have anything else, Kate? What are some of your notes? Oh, I just wrote down a lot of little things I noticed before, and that that it end, that did end up coming back in the end. Mm-hmm. For instance, the um. And I think Patricia Arquette might be a little bit underrated in this film for what that's mm-hmm. worth. Um, but there's a scene, it's at the party at Andy's house where Renee's across the room and like, it's really just, they flash to her very briefly, but she sees Fred talking with Andy mm-hmm. and she has this look and I was, and I, my note is literally, why is Renee looking at him like that across the room? It's like, like a death stare it, almost. It, it, it was, it was fearful. Mm-hmm. And so that clued me in immediately that and the fact that she was like kind of dancing with him a little bit. I was like, okay, so they're having an affair. Got it. And that did come back in the end. You see that she's been doing something with someone. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are a lot of little moments like that, that ultimately I am looking forward to seeing it again. Hopefully Brian wants to watch it tonight and <laughs> just noticing that those things now that I know a bit of the, more of the story, if you can really call it the story, but you know, what I'm saying. One of the quotes that I loved in this movie was was uh, Mr. Eddie when Eddie when uh what is his name um the main character um not Fred but the Pete. other part of Fred yeah Pete when Pete gets in his car to like listen you know uh to his car to see what's up with it or whatever when he's getting out he's like what does he say he's like you want a porno and he pulls out that tape and he's like give you a boner <laughs> he's like suit yourself or whatever when he's like no thanks. <laughs> Yes, because what I want from my creepy old man that I'm working on his car is his personal taste in yeah, porno. A videotape that's unmarked, like in his fucking car. Um, so let's go around and give like kind of our final ratings for the film and stuff, and um, you know, like out of five, whatever, however you want to do it. So Josh, let's start out with you. 
Um, I'm going to go probably three and a half to four. I mean, it is, it is a movie that you really, really got to invest some time and some energy into if you're going to really appreciate it. I mean, it's Mm -hmm. a Lynch movie. It's art for art's sake. You can, you can take it and you can try to dive into it and make sense of it, or you can just appreciate it as it is. Um, but it's, it's a very good film. It's very entertaining once you get into it, but it's, it's not a, it's not a quick start. It's not a, you know, jump out of the gates kind of a movie. So where does the, so I got two questions. One, where does the stack up with blue velvet and two like you as you you've always been like a very uh visual artist type of guy like you you've created a lot of stuff for the house and stuff like that it's very very cool so do you have a bigger appreciation for david lynch like after watching these two movies of course yeah 100 percent. so for me though i would i would watch blue velvet over again i'm like if it, if, sure. it, if i if it came up and it was on tv i would watch it again for sure lost highway i think i've gotten about as much out of it as i'm gonna get it's a lot more style over substance yeah. than blue velvet right yep. yeah and the, i would agree the thing that you gotta understand about lynch is that nothing is done without purpose or symbolism. Like every Mm -hmm. single thing, every scene, every snapshot, everything means something. You just got to figure out what that is. Mm -hmm. Um, Blue Velvet, I think, gives you so much more depth. Yeah, it's a lot more, uh, it's one of his uh, more linear like yeah. films yeah so it's it, weird shit but yeah. it's a lot it, for me blue velvet was a lot easier to watch and i appreciate it a lot more um but yeah as far as um a, a director a, a film creator a, a mastermind if you will like lynch is an artist i mean you you just gotta appreciate the the whole film you gotta just take it all in and you just gotta take it for what it is if you if you try to get too deep and you try to explain <laughs> it i think you're gonna ruin it is, yeah. is what the way that i look at it yeah blue velvet's kind of like your entry level drug whereas like lost highway you're like going down that hole of like (laughs) getting further and further and you've talked about some other lynch films you've talked about the the twin peaks which was a series then a film yeah and then then another series as well is it a racer head racer head was one of his first if not his first it was like an artsy and it's black and white and yeah okay so i i I saw something about that and i tried finding it and i i couldn't locate it i wanted to watch it do you you have that yeah i got it i need to steal that from you then dive in inland empire (laughs) right exactly yeah this is basically he he shut down blockbuster and just bought it yeah inland empire racerhead like those are all yeah twin peaks is probably my favorite like other than blue velvet twin peaks is probably my favorite thing ever so kate all right I th- I'm pretty much with Josh here. I think I'd go three and a half out of five for a few reasons. Um, one, I did enjoy this movie. I, I enjoyed looking at it and trying to figure it out, which I knew I wasn't going to figure it out, but I, I enjoyed the, you know, the game of trying to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is like, there are some really chilling scenes. There's some really um, striking looking scenes. Um, and it's just, I was riveted trying to see what was coming next. So I did enjoy it for that, but it's not my type of movie. I do like a resolution. I like understanding the plot. Um, I don't like, I do like a a complex plot. Like I love Memento and there's lots of other movies like that, that I do enjoy, but I do enjoy being able to piece something together in the Mm -hmm. end and having (laughs) a a solid understanding of it, which I'll never get with a Lynch film. And I understand that (laughs) that's fine. Um, some things you shouldn't do with this movie. Don't watch it at night right before you go to bed by yourself because you'll have bad dreams. And it, and it doesn't give you enough time to process it, right? Because I have to go to bed right away because I was like, oh, my God, I got a kid waking me up at 6 30 or whatever. I got to go to sleep right away. So it was like one hard to fall asleep. Then I had bad dreams. Not a good combo. And I would not say that this is a like 
a party film either. This is not one you put no, on with a bunch no, of people. No, no. Like you kind of just do this one on you your own or with your partner. You know. <laughs> I don't know if any of his films are like that. Yeah. Like even Blue Velvet, I wouldn't put on like at a party. Yeah, no. it's too. There, I mean, there's <laughs> it's, too one, there's, it's too sexual. You're gonna get too many rape super scenes. awkward. <laughs> yeah, they're like, God damn, this dude's fucking loony. <laughs> right. Um. But anyway, I would say yeah, three and three and a half out of five. I think, which personally for me is like pretty solid. Oh, for sure. Uh, so one scene we didn't mention that I found was really creepy was when Renee they were laying in bed and Renee is like over him and she her face is like kind of uh like uh, in the dark like in the shadows and stuff and that creepy mysterious dude's face becomes like superimposed oh, over right. hers yeah <laughs> Fred's explaining her his dream or whatever oh. and his face pops up it's like yeah you're not sleeping that night <laughs> no um so yeah this would be like a three and a half to a four out of five for me too like i don't think it's not my favorite of his movies but i love like the whole feeling like the dark uh the, the dark noir feeling and stuff um as bloody disgusting put out in an article this week it's noir vember like so that's kind of cute yeah. cool. <laughs> but yeah this this film is like really really cool the soundtrack for me is an all-timer um i really really dug revisiting this and uh it meant uh, you know trying to piece it together with you guys i think this discussion has been really really fun for a lot of yeah. I, i'm anxious to see the comments and stuff on this one because a lot of lynch's stuff i don't think anybody really knows what it means so it's kind of fun just like trying to put shit together but um can Josh, you... I really want to thank you for joining us, dude. Yeah, of like, course, man. Been... I'm, it's, it's always just awesome. a small panic attack to begin with, but other than that, we get into it. <laughs> for sure. It's always awesome to have you on here, man, because you go deep and you know get into the weeds with us and stuff. <laughs> yeah, Josh brings his research, his A-game, and his nerves. I mean... <laughs> for sure, for sure. Um, I, as always, I have a book recommendation. So this book is, it's kind of related, kind of not, but it has to do with a motel, so it's kind of related in that uh, Lost Highway is a motel as well. Uh, the Neon Owl. This is book one, When Shit Hits the Fan, by Chad Lutsky. Um, this is, Jinx is a record-collecting middle-aged minimalist whose dreams of becoming a detective are waylaid by love and laziness. I, I never wear my glasses on this shit. and It always comes up to haunt me. <laughs> but when he inherits his late aunt's rundown motel, The Neon Owl, his passion for investigative work reignites when he searches for the answers as to who keeps shitting in the bushes. His findings lead to a full-blown murder mystery where he and newfound friend Roddy, the elderly one-legged handyman, set out to find the killer. A crime, a crime nourish whodunit rife with humor, grit, and ranch dressing. So I'm in the middle of reading this right now, and yeah, it kind of like there's a uh, there's definitely a uh, Chad Lunsky to David Lynch kind of line, you know, going right in between these two authors. But it has a lot of uh, Lynchian stuff in here for it sure. Sounds funny yeah yeah it's a lot more uh, comedic than uh, lost highway is for sure (laughs) uh but yeah that's my book recommendation uh for this week i want to thank you for joining us um uh, you can find us on twitter at horrifying mf and at the creature uh captain creature mf i believe i think is what it's called um and (laughs) you don't know your handle (laughs) i think it's like captain creature hmf i think is what it is uh Uh, you'll find it yeah Yeah, look me up uh, <laughs> and then on Facebook and Instagram at horrifying my friends, uh, Josh, I want to thank you again for joining us. Produce Kate. Thank you for joining us. Yep. Yep. Um, as always, but have a good week. Bye. Bye. Bye.